From Muhlenberg College, this is 2400 Chew. I'm Tammy Katzoff, and in each episode of this podcast, I talk to one Muhlenberg graduate about their current work and the industry in which that work is done. For this episode, I spoke with Nora Kelly, class of 2011, camp director for the Audubon Naturalist Society. I sat down with Nora in her office at the Audubon Naturalist Society in Chevy Chase, Maryland. And as I do with all of these interviews, I began the conversation by asking how and when she became interested in her occupation. So I didn't know that this was really a career option doing environmental education. I got my bachelor's in environmental science and sort of thought, okay, you can be a scientist, work in a lab, or kind of go to more school and become a professor or something like that. And one of my first jobs out of college was working as a field scientist outside. I'd always loved nature, and so that job had appeal to me. And But I found it kind of spent a lot of time by myself, kind of doing monotonous things over and over again. And through that job, had the opportunity to lead a nature walk for students, kind of underserved students. And I, I still remember we were walking down this like sandy trail and we saw a turtle laying eggs and making a nest to lay eggs. And these kids had, they'd never seen a turtle before. They were just so amazed and thought it was the coolest thing ever. And kind of getting to be there for that moment and help guide them and explain what the turtle was doing, et cetera, was amazing to me. And I realized that I really liked educating people about nature. And then I've always loved kids and working with children, um, worked at summer camps and, you know, doing those kind of typical things, babysitting and everything. And so I kind of had this epiphany of, oh, I could combine my two passions of working with children and working in and with nature. And that's called environmental education. And you can make a career out of that. And here we are. And here we are. Can you talk more about the Audubon Naturalist Society, what it does, what its mission is, and also this amazing physical space that we're currently in? The Audubon Naturalist Society is all about educating and connecting people in the D.C. region with nature. So we lead a lot of walks for children as well as for adults. And our name suggests birds and birding, which is how we were founded. But we really encompass all of nature and do a lot of conservation work with water and clean water resources, as well as just educating people about trash and recycling and just trying to get people outside to appreciate nature and kind of inspire them to then conserve nature. Mm -hmm. And talk about where we are and that kind of fits in with the the organization's mission, like this physical space that we're in. Yeah, so we are in a historic mansion called Woodend Mansion. It was owned by the Wells family. They had it built um, in the 1920s. And she was one of the founders of the Audubon Naturalist Society. We're actually the oldest environmental conservation organization in the D.C. region. We are separate from the National Audubon Society, two separate organizations. And we were founded when it was a really common fashion statement for women to wear feathers in their hats. Hmm. Um, And so birds actually were being threatened with extinction because they were being harvested for this fashion statement. So women realized that this was happening and and rallied together and formed these Audubon societies, in particular the Audubon Naturalist Society, to 
kind of combat that and stop people from doing that. And they succeeded and founded this organization. And then when Miss Wells passed away, she bequeathed the mansion and her property to our society. So now we have this beautiful historic mansion in Chevy Chase, as well as we're surrounded by a 40 acre nature sanctuary, which is where we do a lot of our education programming. I didn't think of the feathers in the hats, but yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, that was a thing. It was. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so what's your work day like? Do you have a typical work day? If, and if so, what do you do? What, you, you get here and what happens? I don't have a typical work day. And that's part of what I love about my job is not only is every day different, but really every season is different. So, you know, in the spring, we'll be really, really busy doing programming with schools, bringing schools to this nature sanctuary and taking them on field trips around, showing them the pond and the forest, as well as going to schools and doing things in the classroom. We have a whole program on teaching them how to create green cleaners and leaving, you know, leaving the teacher with these bottles of natural cleaners to clean the classroom with, bringing worms into the classroom and teaching them about composting and recycling um, and letting them handle worms In the summer, we run summer camps, which is a huge production for us. We have over 1,300 kids that come throughout the summer. Um, So that's a whole, you know, hiring staff for that and kind of just managing the staff and the children in the summer is a lot. You know, in the winter, it's a different, it's slower and you get kind of a chance to breathe and think of new programming ideas and things like that. So every season and every day is different, which is part of what I love about it. What is the most rewarding part of your job? And what are some of the things you really don't like about (laughs) what you do or the more challenging things? The most rewarding part of the job, one of my favorite parts is when you see that spark in a child. And we do work with a lot of underserved and underprivileged youth, particularly from the D.C. area. And they often are kids. They don't have a backyard of their own. They might not have a safe park near their home. And taking them out into the woods, and they've never been in the woods. They've never seen these huge trees. They've never maybe held a frog before Mm. or, um, you know, rolled a log and seen slugs and centipedes. And just seeing them light up and think that this is, I think it's the coolest thing. And getting to see how they see it as the coolest thing. And they really, they'll realize, we we had a kid... um, once say after program, I I didn't know science could be fun, (laughs) you know, and so instilling that not only that love of nature, but that fun in learning is what I love and find the most rewarding. The most challenging, hopefully my boss won't listen to this podcast. (laughs) No, just kidding. But, you know, I think it's not my least favorite part of the job, but the most challenging is I do work with a lot of different types of people and different aged, you know, working with high schoolers and, you know, just having to kind of manage those people. And Mm -hmm. especially in the summer with a lot of um, high school counselors and, you know, it's that fine line of teaching them responsibility and giving Mm -hmm. them things to be responsible Mm -hmm. for. And then sometimes they fall through in those, in those things that you've asked and having to kind of coach them through that and, and pick up those pieces sometimes can be challenging. Got it. Okay. Where does the funding come from for all of this? We get a lot of grants that provides a lot of the funding for our programs. We are a nonprofit organization. So things like summer camp, 
that's a huge revenue source for our organization and then funds, you know, all the staff that we need for that type of programming. Mm. And how many people work here full-time? We have a staff of about 40 full-time people and maybe 20 part-time. You've been doing this kind of work for several years now Mm -hmm. um, here and elsewhere. So you've probably seen some changes in the type of work that you do. Can you talk about the changes that you have seen, big and small, and then also talk about what you expect to be happening in the future, how your job might change because of other trends that might be down the road? So I think one of the biggest trends in environmental education is that it's becoming a thing. Again, like I said in the beginning, I didn't even know what environmental education was and had never heard that term really. And as I've gotten into the career, it's become a much more heard of study. And there are colleges that they now have a major in environmental education um, or kind of working with their science department and the education department to bring that together. Mm. Um, I think people are realizing that a huge way to combat climate change is to educate people about it and to start with children who are going to be the future conservationists of our country, of our world. And if you can show them how amazing our planet is and nature is, then they're going to want to protect it. Mm-hmm. And if you don't do that, then why would they care? They have no investment in the earth, in the natural world. So I think it's becoming a much bigger industry. Again, with the grants that we get, it's there's a lot more funding for this type of work and working to get those kids that otherwise might never have a nature experience, getting them outside. It just keeps growing every year we're hiring more people onto our team and getting more grant funding to hire more people to do more programming. One of the the challenges and maybe going back to your question again about one of the most challenging parts of my job is we do try to pair our programming with national education standards as well as state of Maryland educational requirements and credentials. And so those are always changing and they're coming up with new curriculum standards. And so always trying to keep on top of that when you're not actually in the education system and you're, you don't actually work for the public school system or, Mm. or things like that and Mm. having to constantly be appraised of that. And I think as this field continues, as my career continues, that a lot of what my boss does and I'm starting to do as well is working with school systems and particular schools to do kind of whole school-wide programming. And so making sure every single child in the second grade at this school is getting our worm program or is learning our salad science program and learning how lettuce grows and Mm. getting to eat lettuce that they've grown and kind of, I think that that might be kind of more of the trend. Okay, we want to see every public school in D.C. getting this particular type of programming and really expanding and trying to reach as many kids as we can. Mm. Let's dig deeper, pardon the pun. Tell me more about the WORM program. What's it all about? What happens? It's part of one of our bigger programs called Garbology, which is a word that my boss made up, which is the science of garbage and teaching kids that trash isn't just trash and As an adult, I'm even, what does happen to my trash? Where does it go when the trash truck picks it up? And and teaching kids it doesn't just evaporate or disappear and it goes somewhere and you can recycle a lot of your trash and you can compost a lot of your trash. And literally kids will go through the trash bins in their cafeteria one day with us 
we put on gloves and we sort all of the trash and show, okay, a third of all of this trash right here that people threw away from lunch is food waste that could be composted and throw some worms in there with that, throw some paper in there and the worms are going to eat all of that stuff that you thought of as trash and turn it back into soil. And the whole cycle starts over again. And a third of that trash could have been recycled. And here's how you rinse it out and put it in the recycling bin. And then a lot of those kids will also either go tour a compost facility. Yes, those exist. Uh Um, Huge places where all that compost goes and um, a recycling facility as well. And actually getting to see the recyclable material coming off the truck, going through a conveyor belt, getting sorted, getting squashed, all that kind of stuff. And it just, I mean, again, it just blows your mind to see the amount of trash that you produce, but also to realize that not all of it is trash and that people always, I feel like when you're talking about climate change and the environment and they say, what can I do? There's no way this one person can make a difference. But if you think about how many people there are on the planet, how many kids are out there, and if you get that one person that's now composting, then you get all those kids to teach their parents how to compost, and that whole school is composting, and it, it adds up, and it does make a difference. When you are leading groups of, of kids, is there an element of moving away from the technology that might be in their pocket and really just focusing on what they're seeing out there? How does that work? Great question. So kind of two sides of it. One, we do often try to get kids away from the technology as much as possible. We have a whole program that's literally called Unplug and Play, trying to get kids away from their phones, their screens, which, you know, even your eight-year-old kids are coming with, with cell phones and things like that. But we do also try to pair the two together. And we will do a program called a Bio Blitz, which is basically going out into one area and you try to catalog all of the living life that you see. And you use an app called iNaturalist. And so you go, you take a picture of that plant, the app, and people download the app and scientists and your common person can go on there. They can look at your picture and help you ID that plant and what it is. The app will also, through some sort of algorithm, they will give you suggestions as to what they think the plant is. So we'll go out with, say, a whole fourth grade at a school They'll come here and they'll go through our sanctuary. We have little iPads that each group will get and they take pictures of every bug that they see, every plant, all of the life that they're seeing. Mm. And then they can go through and try to identify it themselves. We can go through afterwards and through the help of other scientists on the iNaturalist app, identify everything. And then you kind of do a wrap up with the kids afterwards of showing Okay, so we were outside, 10 people saw this buckeye butterfly, and 10 people saw this animal, and you can say this percentage of what you saw were were invasive species, and these were native species, and anybody can use the app. I'll Mm. use it in my backyard and take a picture of a plant that I don't know what it is, and then someone says, oh, this is this thing that you should pull out right away and get rid of, or what is this insect? And so then that's a way to connect kids, and you can kind of connect different schools with each other and different people through that app. So that's something that we will use with kids. Nice. Sounds like a a great way to integrate the tech into the natural. Mm-hmm. It's that STEM, the science, technology, engineering, and math right. all, all coming together. Right. 
doesn't have to be either or. While I do say it is nice to unplug and get out in the woods without your phone dinging constantly, but at the same time, that's really hard to do. And you can do both and take your phone with you and take pictures of what you're seeing and and learn something new. So what percentage of, of your work time would you say you're working in this office and what percentage are you out and about? Depends on the season. Mm. Um, you know, in the summer, it's I'm mostly on my feet, mm. you know, running around after kids. Mm-hmm. In the winter, maybe 75% of my time mm-hmm. is, is sitting at a desk. Mm-hmm. And then, so on average, you know, maybe 60% of my time is at the desk. The 40% out and about with the kids getting outside. Now you, so you mentioned you majored in environmental science. Yes. I imagine you went right from your bachelor's degree right into into work. So I assume a lot of your training was on, on the drop. When you started here, what was that training period like? I kind of just got thrown into this job. I started mm. in June and summer camp was two weeks away. And so really did learn on the job and getting that experience. Really all the work I've done, every every job, you get more comfortable working with kids and you get in that awkward situation with a kid and their random question or things you're not anticipating. But I think just like it would be for a teacher, it really is you learn on the job and you have to be interacting with the kids to get that experience. In a way, it was nice starting here and just being thrown into the summer. Then once my first three months here were up, it was like, okay, I've gotten through the hardest part of this job successfully and now can kind of recoup and figure out what else this job entails and Mm -hmm. where to go from there. Is there anything that you wish you would have known back when you were a student at Muhlenberg that would have made your life easier, your career easier? I wish I could have taken classes through the educational track that Muhlenberg has. You know, if just the intro to education class or something like that, that you could have taken just to kind of get your feet wet a little bit and get that experience. Um, Again, because I didn't know that this was a route that you could go. You know, kids are always trying to figure out what their career is going to be and what should I major in. And, And everybody, they either say, do what you love, do what you're passionate about, or do what's going to make a lot of money. Environmental education is is not a lucrative field, to to be honest, Mm. but potentially that's changing as people realize the importance of it. I would phrase it a little differently than think about what you're passionate about, but think about kind of what you really care about. And I've always known that I want, that I loved working with kids and I always knew I loved nature, but it never had occurred to me that you could put the two together. Uh, uh And so think outside the box in in a way you can almost not that I created my own career, but you know, you can be like, okay, well, I've been a camp counselor before and I've done this and to kind of think that you can actually put what you're passionate about together and make a career out of it. Mm-hmm. For a student who knows that they do want to do this type of work. They've kind of figured it out early. What advice would you give? What words of wisdom might you give to that person? I would say get as much experience as you can, even if that's just volunteering somewhere. I do feel like this is a hard field to kind of break into. There's lots of part-time jobs. Organizations always need educators that can go in a couple times a week and do programming 
somewhere, but there aren't always that many full-time jobs. Mm -hmm. And so when I first started, I had multiple part-time jobs at different places and often on top of that would volunteer at places as well. And that really helped me get my foot in the door. One I actually started at the Audubon Natural Society as a volunteer and then the people get to know you and you can kind of work your way in that way. But again, just the more experience you can get teaching kids and educating them and, you know, learning how to deal with all those different types of situations you might get in when you're Mm -hmm. working with children Mm -hmm. really gives you a leg up. Is there anything else you want to say? Did I miss something or anything you want to touch on? I don't think so. I think just reiterating for people that, you know, really try to think about what you are passionate about and figuring out a way to be able to do that in your life, your career is not only fulfilling, but it's possible. Even if you think you don't see people in your particular career track or there isn't a major for your particular, the particular thing that you want to do, you can still make it happen. This episode of 2400 Shoe was produced by me, Tammy Katzoff, Associate Director of the Muhlenberg College Career Center. It was recorded on location by Paul Kremposky and engineered by Morgan Wolper at the studios of WMUH Allentown, Pennsylvania. Our opening and closing music from Cowboy Bebop is performed by the Muhlenberg College Jazz Big Band. <laughs>